You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. Easy to sing praise to the Lord on the other side of the Red Sea. But then verse 13, they soon forgot his works. How soon? Oh, very soon. Yeah, very soon. I mean, we're talking maybe within a few days after the whole Red Sea thing. They completely forgot. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. Many of us would be quick to agree that it's much easier to praise God in times of prosperity, well-being, and good health. However, as soon as we're hit with trials, we're often quick to forget how good he is. In today's message, Pastor J.D. will encourage you to remember the goodness of God even in the times of hardship and struggle. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Psalms, chapter 106, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. I mean, how amazing would that have been to actually walk on dry ground through the Red Sea to the other side and actually live through that, walk through that. You get to the other side and then have God just drown all of the Egyptians, every last one of them, not one of them left. They're on the other side of the Red Sea. Praise the Lord. Oh, it's easy to praise the Lord on, on that side of the Red Sea. You weren't doing that before, before God parted the Red Sea. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves me correctly, if I'm recollecting this correctly, you were saying things like, what? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt to kill us there? You had to bring us out here to kill us? Really? Really, God? And they're so angry with Moses, of course, they're going to take it out on the messenger. I mean, Moses, poor Moses. This is only the beginning. He hasn't seen nothing yet. And the psalmist is actually going to talk about a couple more times when the children of Israel are just so angry and murmuring, complaining. And Moses is like, stop, stop. And so what happens? Verse 12, then they believed his words. You think? It's easy to believe on that side of the Red Sea, isn't it? And then they sang his praise. Oh yeah, I get that. Easy to sing praise to the Lord on the other side of the Red Sea. But then verse 13, they soon forgot his works. How soon? Oh, very soon. Yeah, very soon. I mean, we're talking maybe within a few days after the whole Red Sea thing. They completely forgot They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request. What request? Oh, this is when they had had it with the manna. And they demanded that they can eat meat. And they're even with their selective memories, thinking about the food that they ate in Egypt in slavery. Oh, the leeks and the onions. Oh man, the buffet there in Egypt. 
And here we are in the wilderness, and all we're getting is this manna every single day. We want meat. We want flesh to eat. And God says, okay, I'll give you flesh. He sent them quail, and they ate, and while it was still in their teeth, they died. And we're told that God sent them the quail, but sent leanness into their soul. I think that is an apropos description of what lust, the lust of the flesh is. I I was reading a commentary, and it was something like this. Lust is like giving a thirsty man salt. That's what lust is. Leanness to their soul. Verse 16, this is an interesting account. We saw this in the book of Numbers. When they envied Moses in the camp, and Aaron, the saint of the Lord. (laughs) I'm going to have to explain this one. The earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the faction of Abiram. This is Numbers chapter 16. Let me give you kind of a quick backstory. I won't take as long as I did in the book of Esther, so bear with me. This is really interesting. So there's this guy by the name of Korah. This is actually Moses' cousin. And some of the Psalms that we read are written by the sons of Korah. These were the uh, priestly tribe, the tribe of Aaron, of which Moses and Aaron were, Aaron being Moses' older brother. So this Korah, one of the leaders of Israel, the the cousin of Moses, uh, gets this idea in his mind that maybe Moses is getting too big for his britches. So he confronts Moses and he, and he says to Moses, you know, Moses, you're, you're not the only one that God's called. You know, who do you think you are? I mean, wh- wh- aren't we all leaders? And here's Moses, poor Moses. He never wanted this job in the first place. If I'm not mistaken, he argued with God. He pleaded with God eight times. He tried to come up with every reason in the book that he could think of. At 80 years of age, when God appears to him in the burning bush and says, Okay, Moses, I'm now going to call you to deliver your people out of slavery in Egypt. And here's Moses going, oh, no, no, no. That was a really old prayer. Yeah, that may, maybe 40 years ago, God, but that ship is, I can't even, I've been here on the backside of the desert for 40 years, and all I've ever talked to are sheep. I've developed a speech impediment. I can't even talk. So God says, okay, fine. Then your, your older brother Aaron, he'll do all the talking. That's why throughout the Old Testament, We read, and God commanded Moses, speak to Aaron to speak to the children of Israel. Throughout the Old Testament. That's why Aaron's even in the picture. We're going to talk about Aaron in a moment here too. So, (laughs) so Korah's like, hey, come on. Um, You know, who do you think you are? Is it you alone that God has called to deliver and lead his people through the wilderness? You know, God has called. In other words, Korah wants Moses' job. And Moses is like, you know what, dude, you can have it. But we better check with God first. Because the last time somebody ran from the calling of God, a big fish, that's a whole nother story. (laughs) 
<laughs> swallowed them up and barfed them out on the seas of, of the shores of Nineveh. And I, I'm just kind of not really interested. I've had my fill of water. The Red Sea was enough water for me for now. So, and then the water out of the rock. So I'm good. But let's just, let's just see what God has to say about this. Here, here's what we're going to do. So tomorrow morning, first thing, why don't we all meet here at the tent of the meeting, the, the tabernacle, and let's see what God is going to do. Who's God going to choose? Hey, if you want my job, <laughs> yeah, where do I sign? So let's see who God is going to choose. Is He going to continue to use me, or is He going to use you? We'll find out. Well, first thing in the morning, they all show up at the tabernacle, and here's what God's decision is. Oh, the earth opens up and swallows them up, and they all die. I think uh, God wants to keep using Moses. <laughs> I mean, call me silly. Uh, <laughs> I love how a guy uh, kind of explained this. It's a hypothetical, of course, but it's kind of like Moses is, you know, looking at this and, and actually, to his credit, he actually prays that God would be merciful and stop killing them. That's not the first time. I mean, if somebody does that to me and God opens up the earth and swallows them up, I'm like, praise the Lord. That takes care of that problem. Not Moses, not Aaron either. So, <laughs> But if I'm Moses, you know what I'm thinking about that time with this rebellion, this coup now that has risen up against me and my leadership and the calling that God has in my life? I mean, God's pretty much made it clear. I would at that point call an emergency meeting and say, does anybody else want my job? Now would be the time to talk. No, I'm good. I'm very good. <laughs> 250 people, if I'm not mistaken if my memory's right, died when the earth swallowed them up. All of these people that Korah had recruited to rise up against Moses and Aaron. And the psalmist is talking about this in the context of, with the point of speaking to the rebellion of God's people after all that God had done. And they rebelled. And they still rebelled. And they still tested God. They wanted meat to eat. They rebelled against Moses and against Aaron, out of envy, by the way. It's always jealousy. So, verse 18, a fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb. This is, <laughs> and worshiped the molded image. Again, this is there when Moses is on Mount Sinai. You know the story, right? And the people are growing impatient. Moses is never coming back. So Aaron poor Aaron. They're like, Aaron, we need, Moses isn't coming back. He's been gone a long time. And we need a God to worship. We're in the market for a God to worship. So they really pressured him, and he finally acquiesced and gave in to them. And he takes all that gold that they got out of Egypt, and he makes this golden calf. And if it weren't in the Word of God, I would never believe it. When after the golden calf is made, Aaron has the audacity to say to the children of Israel, Behold, this is the God that delivered you out of Egypt. Which is why I believe the emphasis is throughout the Old Testament, whenever you read, I am the Lord your God, I think the emphasis is on, I am the Lord your God. Not that calf. That's not the Lord your God who delivered you out of Egypt. 
And so they're worshiping this golden calf. And then, so here comes Moses. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, I, I guess, I guess he is coming back. And with the commandments on the tablets, by the finger of God they were written, and he throws them down and they break to signify how that the Israelites had already broken all of those commandments written by the hand of God. Now he comes down and he queries his older brother Aaron, Aaron, what are you doing? What's this golden calf thing? What, what are you doing? And then Aaron's story, again, if it weren't in the Word of God, I would never believe it. Here's, here's what he says, basically this, okay, Moses, I'm so sorry. So I don't know what happened, but I, you know, I had all this gold and, and I threw it into the fire and poof, out came this golden calf. <laughs> okay, all right. Anyway, verse 20, thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot their God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. There were so many times where God just said, that's it. And he would send this fire that would just consume them. And Moses and Aaron would get on their face and plead with God, God, please stop killing your people. And then he stops and doesn't destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before them. Verse 24, then they despised the pleasant land. After all of this and more, much more, they did not believe his word but complained, interesting, in their tents. Oh, in their tents? Well then, in the privacy of their tents? Yeah, but God heard every word in their tents, and did not heed the voice of the Lord. Therefore he raised up his hand in an oath against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their descendants among the nations, and to scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves also to Baal at Peor of Peor, and ate sacrifices made to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. And that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses on account of them. Now please know, God is not excusing Moses, but is explaining the anger of Moses. So they provoked him, and it went ill with Moses on account of them, because they rebelled against his spirit, so that he spoke rashly with his lips. This is when Moses struck the rock the second time. He has just had it. You know, there's one account, I, don't, I can't remember off the top of my head where it's at, but Moses and God are having this dialogue concerning the children of Israel, and they're basically both not taking ownership. They're, they're not my people. They're your people, Moses. Moses goes, these aren't, these aren't my people. They're your people. You deal with them. I'm not going to deal with them anymore. I've had it with them. I mean, they're just always complaining and rebelling and murmuring about everything after everything you've done. 
And so they get there again, they're in the desert, they're thirsty again, and here we go again, it's deja vu all over again. Wasn't that, uh, I forget who said that, deja vu all over again, a redundancy of redundancies. And God says, don't strike the rock. Speak to the rock and water will come out. But Moses is so angry, he's lost control of his anger. And he says, how long are we going to have to put up with you? And he takes that rod and he strikes that rock and water comes out. And then after they drink, God says, hey Moses, come here. I told you not to strike the rock the second time, only speak to the rock. See again, that's the typology. That rock is Christ. Christ was only crucified one time. He's not crucified twice. Water comes out after the crucifixion. We just speak to the rock and water, living water, comes out after he was struck one time. So it cost him the promised lamb. So verse 30, where are we? Someone help me out. 35? 34, thank you. They did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols, verse 36, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works, and played the harlot by their own deeds. This is speaking of the Molech worship. We talked about that in a recent prophecy update. This was the child sacrifice that we call today modern day abortion. They would take these children, they would sacrifice them to the god Molech and burn them alive. The Israelites did this. Therefore, verse 40, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people, so that he abhorred his own inheritance. And he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times, verse 43, this is an understatement, many times he delivered them, countless times you could say, but they rebelled in their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, uh, this is a but God, verse 44, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and for their sake he remembered his covenant, not that he forgot, and relented according to the multitude of his mercies. That's why he's a merciful God. He also made them to be pitied by all those who carried them away captive. They actually felt sorry for the Jews. Save us, O Lord our God, verse 47, and gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. And it ends the same way. I love it. I love it. I love it. Praise the Lord. Ah, what a great way to end the Bible study. But not before we make a couple of observations here. Would you agree with me that Psalm 106 can be just a little bit disturbing when you read about how God's people rebelled against God after all that God did for them? You know why it might be a little bit disturbing? Because we do this. Come on, let's be honest. Don't we do this? We forget 
all the wondrous works of God, all the things that God has done, all the times that God has delivered us, and we complain and we murmur and we have unbelief. Again, I think we are grossly remiss when we're too hard on the Israelites. So to me, the psalm is actually very encouraging, and I'll explain why. It speaks to the mercy of God in spite of the rebellion of God's people. All that God had done, they they rebelled. After all that God had done. You know, one of the questions I asked myself, and, and especially when we were studying the life of David, is why do we have so much detailed information about the ugly things, the horrible things, the unthinkable things that David did, that the people of God did. You know, with David, there's, it's almost like TMI, right? Too much information. I don't want to know how he was so cunning in his mind as he conspired on how to murder Uriah the Hittite to cover up the pregnancy of Bathsheba. That was his baby when they committed adultery, and now he's going to commit murder. I don't want to know that about my hero. This is David who slew the uncircumcised Philistine. This is David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the shepherd boy. This is David, my hero. I don't want to know that about him. Why why do I need to know that about him? Oh, because when you see how bad he was, you're going to see how good God was in spite of how bad he was. It's not about how bad David was. It's not about how bad the children of Israel were. It's about how good God always is. That's why I believe we have such graphic detail of Israel's wickedness and rebellion recorded for us in the pages of Scripture. So here's the takeaway, and we'll bring it to a close. Both Psalm 105 and Psalm 106 speak to how God is always good, no matter how bad we are. It doesn't matter how bad it is or how bad we are. It can never change how good God always is, because God is a merciful God. He looks down on His people. He knows we are but dust. He knows we are fallen. He knows we are sinful. He knows our sin nature, our human nature, and He takes pity on us. And in His mercy toward us, He is so gracious and good to us. And I think that's the takeaway from these two very interesting psalms. Thanks for taking the time to listen today to In Spirit and Truth. Pastor J.D. has been taking us through the book of Psalms, detailing the author's messages of hope and pain, joy and sorrow. You may have found today that you identified with the sentiments expressed in today's passage. And if that's the case, we encourage you to explore more. Dive into the Word yourself and ask God to reveal additional love and personal truth that He knows you need to hear today. 
If you'd like to hear more of Pastor J.D.'s teachings in Psalms 2, you can find them online at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Are you a part of a community of believers? If you haven't yet found a church that you can call home, we'd like to urge you to remedy that soon. A church family can be a source of support, a cheering squad, and most importantly, a group of faithful prayer warriors. This is also a place you can give of your unique talents in support of others as well. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you have a standing invitation to be part of our family of believers. Come join Calvary Chapel Kaneohe on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find out more at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. There's a lot to discover at our website, including a link to our mobile app, social media pages, and Pastor JD's Mideast Prophecy Updates. That website, one more time, is inspiritandtruthradio.com. That's all we have for today. Join us next time to continue learning from the book of Psalms, right here on In Spirit and Truth. <music> 